Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. I'm Alex Burr, once again joined by my great friend, J.D. Hall. J.D., no curveball tonight. It's, it's a little bit of a heater. How are we feeling after today's two Game 7s? Um, me personally, I feel great. I feel justified. I feel... Like everything I say has been validated. I think I think I think every strong or awful opinion that people said that I had has been proven to be correct tonight. Well, they're still probably awful, JD, but I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, They might be. They might be. They might be. Basketball changes all the time and in fast ways. It's a wonderful sport in that way. And we're going to basically what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to be going through the four series. They're all concluded. We're recording this at about 1045 Eastern time. So this is a real light one, folks. Um, We got to start with the game that just concluded in one of the most embarrassing efforts we've ever seen from a team that won 64 games in the regular season. I, I don't feel off base saying that, J.D. It was really, really pathetic. Um, but first, let's go through the games that happened in between the time. So I believe the last time we did this, these series were tied 2-2. So game five, the Suns won 110-80. Game six, the Mavericks won 113-86. And then tonight, tonight was the cherry on top of the Suns shit Sunday. <laughs> they lost 123-90 to in a game that wasn't the a game where JD... You saw this. The Suns had 27 points at halftime. 27. I don't even remember the last time that's happened in a game, let alone game seven. Right? It's legitimately insane, but... Luca outscored them in the first half. <laughs> Not outscored. He scored as many, which is just as bad. <laughs> hey, my ass, that's outscoring when we know he got assists, too. You know what? That's a great point. JD, um, what the hell happened today? How can I say this? Um, Devin Booker was wore out. Chris Paul was worn out, which we already knew. Chris Paul didn't just fall off a cliff. He had to carry them the first, the first round without virtually no help from DeAndre Aiden. Unless he created everything for Aiden. He was wore down. It was no way we, we could expect half of the Chris Paul that we got last series to go through this entire series. It was no way. Devin Booker. Devin Booker not fully healthy. I don't care what nobody say. He looked good. Yes, he looked good. But let me tell you something. That's called tough and grit. He just grinded it out and did the best that he could. But eventually, that hamstring was going to tighten back up, and we've seen it. He wasn't as quick. He wasn't as sharp. It looked like it started aggravating him again, and it's no excuse, but Devin Booker was tired, too. Every game, him and Chris Paul had to carry too much of a load. Bridges, 
Bridges was worn out from the defensive end. You can't expect for him to be great on offense. You can't. He was their defense, to be honest. Him and Jay Crowder. And we couldn't expect for Jay Crowder to continue to shoot the way that he was doing because this is not Miami Heat, Jay Crowder. This is not Bubble Jay Crowder. This is Phoenix Suns Jay Crowder. Well, his burden on defense is going to be so much because it's not that many great defenders outside of him and Bridges on the team. So it just all boiled down to the top, the four guys I just named having to carry loads on both sides, which leaves who, A.B.? Which leaves who? I don't know, some guy who may have been picked first overall over Luca. It leaves the one man. I've been telling everybody, not top five center, the guy that needs to show up the most, the guy who needs to learn how to create his own shot, the guy who's everything about him depends on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. He has no confidence within himself. And we can tell every time his confidence is is rising or it is shot. He plays completely different. Tonight, he had no confidence. He was two or five from the field. Four points and five rebounds. You're not telling me a top five center will give you that in a closeout game. You can't yeah. convince me of that. And, and the fact of the matter is, this was his series to dominate. This series was handpicked for him. 25 and 15, easy. Who was going to stop him down low? But you know what, what he did? Continue to do stupid fouls. He didn't play with the aggression that he need. I mean, hell, the, the nice where he had nice scoring numbers, a lot of those came from him turning and shooting, which teams will give him that. They will give him that. And if it's not coming from an easy drop off from Chris Paul, but he's not a threat. He don't even scare you on offensive rebounds that much because we know he's not going to always go down there to do it. I blame DeAndre Aiden heavily. He is an unmotivated player. I mean, the results of tonight certainly make you look prophetic on that and holy shit you look like a fucking prophet after tonight because that was insane i mean you brought up the confidence thing where's the guy who destroyed the clippers last year the clippers were much better suited to guard deandre ayton than the suns are i think you and i would both or sorry than the mavericks are you and i both would agree with that and you want to know what it was it was he wasn't trying hard enough and yeah. he was smoking layups. JD, he missed two bunnies, right? And I think the problem with DeAndre Ayton can be boiled down to this he does not dunk, right? And like you could say, oh, but you know, big men don't need to dunk every time. He does. Like, they, he does, because you know what dunking means? It means you're going up hard. You are not leaving it up to chance. You are throwing the ball in the rim with aggression. And he, They're your defender. He does not do that. He settles for that jump hook way too much. He only played 17 minutes tonight. And JD, he looks so bad, bro. And it's not even just the offense, right? He let fucking Luca back him now. You are a monster of a man. You should not be allowing a wing to back you down. 
That is absurd. It's one of the craziest things I ever saw. And it's not like he was stonewalling Luca, right? It's not like Luca was like, oh, I'm just going to stick my, I'm going to back into him or I'm going to dribble backwards a couple of times and then I'm going to fade away. No, he was actually making progress on Aiton. Yeah. That shouldn't be happening. That should not be happening. And once I saw that, I'm like, oh, this game's over. I knew the dagger was in when they were up like 46, 26, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, that's the game because there's no way the Suns were coming back from that. Like, and Aiden deserves a lot of blame. I will agree with you there. Um, he don't deserve it all, but I give he, him he a deserves, lot of it. He deserves a lot of it. Chris Paul um, deserves a lot of blame. I mean, he's 35, but he played like garbage you know, after game two, game two, he took over, had an all-time performance. Every road game this year, JD, except for the game six in new Orleans, Chris Paul has been not good. Right. I think we can agree with that. (laughs) And like game four in new Orleans, that should have maybe been a sign that, Oh, Dallas's length is going to bother him where Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado are going crazy on Chris Paul, making him even be. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, Chris Paul really struggles in this series. And I have a take for you, JD. I want to see what you think about this. To my mind, there's only been a couple of guys this year that went to the Olympics and didn't get hurt. I don't think Drew had any major injuries. No, no major. I don't think Keldon had any major injuries, but he hardly played in Tokyo. Yeah. And Jason Tatum, who I'm convinced is Superman, did not have any injuries. Everyone else, Middleton had missed the entire series and we'll talk about he missed only two all but two games of this playoffs KD hurt bam hurt a lot of the guys that went to Tokyo ended up hurt because they were doing too much right like Devin Booker Devin Booker Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton hopped on a plane to Tokyo like what the day after the finals yeah I I think (laughs) literally a day or two after the finals and that's just too much. The season resumed in October that you gave yourself less than JD. Did they even, did they even have an off season? Those two in those two in book. Like, I don't, I don't think they did. And I'm not, ex- I'll, this isn't me excusing the way drew played. I think drew played through it as best as he could, but you know, fatigue eventually gets the best of you. No man is, you know, <laughs> other than like 2012 LeBron, we've only had one guy who maybe could have withstood that. And JD, I think Booker, I like, I understand, right? The urge to want to play for the national team. It's a great honor. I would have had him sit out the Olympics last year, JD, because I they think didn't need book. They didn't need book. They had Zach Levine. They had Katie guys who had lost in the second round, bro. You lost in the finals. <laughs> you need to come back next year. But this year was their best chance to win the championship. And I'm not saying Booker going to the Olympics. I, I always said last year. I, I didn't believe in them this year. Uh, well, this year was their best remaining chance to win a title. I'll, yeah. I'll rephrase. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying Booker going to the Olympics cost them because there's a lot of other things. But his injury sure didn't help. And, J.D., there's no other place I can draw from where his injury, like, happened other than the Olympics. Yeah, I, I think it was just a lot of wear and tear on them. I, I can't disagree with you, though. It was just, and I get wanting to represent your country, right? But the Olympics, I think, were even later this year than they are in normal years anyway. Yeah. Add to the fact that the finals were in July. 
It just yeah, it's they miss they miss half of the Olympics. It just was too much. And I think, you know, Mikhail played all 82 games this year after, you know, playing heavy minutes going into July last year. Yeah, like, he, I'm not wasn't saying, he playing like 39 minutes a game in the finals? I'm I would guess so. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that sounds right. And they a lot of things had to go wrong for the Suns to get here, JD, but holy shit. Like, let me ask you this long term. Is this the most disappointing first seed? Is this the most disappointing first seed we've had in a while? I'd say other candidates off the top of my head, 2018 Houston. Like them, um, the Dallas team that we believe beat. And yep. I would Maybe. say. I wouldn't say the Spurs in 2011 because they were down Manu, who is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So, I mean, and then in 2011, when you think about it, for them personally, they were already because in 2010, the Spurs got put out, well, I think, second round. And 2011, I think they was coming back from different injuries throughout the season. So I, I I wouldn't even include them like you said, but yeah, I absolutely agree. And then oh, and Atlanta, twenty sixteen. Okay, but that was a fraudulent first seed. Let's yeah, not... true, but they was first seed. JD, did you know Kevin Harlan dropped this on the broadcast tonight? The Suns are only the second team ever. After that, we believe, or after that Dallas team that lost the We Believe to win 64 games and not make the conference finals. It's only the second time it's ever happened. I didn't know that, but guess what? I love it. It's, it's, I feel so validated. You are incredibly validated. I'll say that was just a pathetic showing. Right. Absolutely. To come, to come like by all parties. It's a team involved. effort. It's a it's team a- effort in that in that trash performance. Yeah. Let, let, let me say that I don't blame not one person just completely. It was a team effort in playing that trash. No energy, no communication. They they look disgusting. Evan Harlan, right? We JD, we know play by play announcers in the sport usually don't give their takes, right? That's not their place. Like you never hear Mike Breen saying, Oh, this, you know, LeBron guy, he's trash, right? You never hear, you know, Ian Eagle trying to get, do his best skip Bayless impression, but I thought it was really telling. I think the warrior, I think the Mavericks were up 39 and they shot a shot. They didn't even go for the offensive glass. Everyone hustled back to get back on defense and Harlan's like, they aren't even going for the offensive glass. And it was such a true point. You're down 39. I think it was 70 to 31. And the fact that a play-by-play announcer announced that in the middle of the play, that's so damning for their entire effort. Like, there's no reason, right? Especially with Aiden. Aiden's huge. There's no reason he shouldn't be killing the offensive class. There's no reason he should have four rebounds tonight. I don't care that he only played 17 minutes. If you played 17 minutes, he probably should have had seven rebounds. He's so much bigger than everyone else on Dallas. It's honestly insane. And like you were saying, it's just a terrible way for them to go out. But I, I feel like we should compliment Dallas, JD. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they like, especially on defense and Jason Kidd, he deserves, uh, we gave him his flowers. Like we've definitely, you and I have been like 
since we started doing this together. I think you and I have done a good job of crediting Jason Kidd and how good he's gotten. Yeah, and let me say this. I don't like Jason Kidd as a coach, but he's did he's done well with Dallas. He's gotten a lot better. And I love the way that they trapped Booker, right? I thought they got the ball. They out of his said hands. bodies. They, and they weren't letting him even think about shooting it. And I think his hampered physical state helped him have such a bad game. He eventually recovered. Well, not recovered. He was three for seven in the second half, which makes up for over seven in the first half in a sense, I guess. Um, I thought Dallas is really doing a really good job of hounding him. I thought their shot makers today, you know, Brunson, Luca, and Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie. I mean, has he ever played this Finally. Finally. (laughs) After signing that big contract in the summer, he finally steps up to the plate. And then Jalen Brunson, with I think inarguably his best game of the series, but even he started to pick up after seeing, oh, the Suns' heads are down a little bit. Yeah. But, what did you like the most from Dallas tonight? Day one. (laughs) No, just play. Really, it was... um, I would have to say it was the fact they they understood what they were in for. This is three years in a row. They ended up in a game seven. They lost the first two, and we know why. But they came in this time, and I would say their mentality was the same as the last two times. They felt they back was against the wall. They coming out gunslinging. And if we go down, we going down, throwing what we had as our best punch and every time they lost they did and this time they best punch was the was the punch that mattered i think that's a really good way to put it and another way i've heard it um i think bill simmons wrote this one time and he was talking about what charles barkley said so this is a bill simmons from charles barkley but barkley said like you if you're the best player in the game you shouldn't leave, you shouldn't have any bullets in the chamber when the game's over. Absolutely agree. And Luca has never, ever left any bullets in the chamber, which is incredible to say for someone who's just 23, right? He has been an incredibly clutch player his entire time in the NBA. And he constantly steps up to the plate. Like if he was a hitter, right, JD? This is the guy that hits 350 and hits 50 bombs, right? Constantly. And he hits, has like 10 walk-off home runs in a season. Yeah. He just, you know, he's clutch, you know, he's going to get it done every single time. And even when he's not shooting it, he's doing something else impactful. He's going to rebound for you. He's going to try on defense at the very, he's not always going to do well on defense as we saw in game two, but he's not going to kill you on defense. Right. And he's going to play make for others. And I thought tonight, he's not a scared defender. No, exactly. He's such a complete player. JD, I told you, I think he's the top five player. You said top seven point remains. He's one of those guys. Now, I don't think that's up. I don't think it was really up for discussion. Even after the last two years, I think Kawhi is just more of one of those guys, (laughs) but at JD, I mean, Luca is doing some stuff that, I mean, we haven't seen for a while. I mean, what is what was your biggest takeaway from Luca this series? Um, no fear. I think on both sides of the ball, he felt comfortable. Nobody really scared him as far as making him defend him 
or vice versa. And no one one of them could slow him down. He got everything he wanted and he didn't really feel he had to pay much of a price on the defensive end. And I mean, that's that's what killed Dallas the last two years um, going against the Clippers. After a while, the, all the bodies being thrown at him, yeah, he got his numbers, but he was shooting like 14 for 31 or 14 for 35 some nights. And yeah, he still get the 30, but it took a lot for him to get there. And then on the other side, they was forcing him to guard Paul George. They was forcing him to guard Kawhi Leonard. They was forcing him to guard Marcus Morris in his spots. You know, and this Marcus Morris was a 20-point-per-game score before being traded to the Clippers while he was on New York. So, you know, it's like it was certain things that they did that I think Phoenix just didn't go after him and make him do. I mean, we seen... Bridges in the first two games have success driving him. We seen Crowder unafraid to shoot when Luca uh, was running at him, and we know Crowder shoot the ball regardless. But Luca didn't feel no pressure constantly on the defensive end, and then on the offensive end, he wasn't afraid. They didn't make him second guess nothing. He was just comfortable. And with a guy with his talent, you can't do that. That's an interesting point. Well, I'll put to the side. Actually, I want to, I do want to say, I think that's pretty spot on. I think the Clippers have become really underrated just because Kawhi and PG combined to play 31 games this year. And all 31 of those were by PG. Um, Kawhi and PG killed the Mavericks and the Jazz last year and probably would have killed the Suns too. I mean, PG did kill the Suns without Kawhi. So I think the Clippers are the team in the immediate future everyone in the West should be scared of. That being said, I don't think many teams, no other team really in the league can do what Toluca, what the Clippers did to Luka. And I think everyone should be terrified because he's only 23. He's not even close to the peak of his powers. And when Lucas at, at the when is at the peak of his powers, JD, he is going to be a menace. And he, he already is a menace, right? There's no denying that. Imagine how good he'll be when he's even better. <laughs> like, what could be better than this? That's the crazy thing. Like, Luca doing this right now is a top 100 player of all time, right? And probably close to the top 50. <laughs> He's made a conference finals at the age of 23 in the West. And this year was a down year for the West. I'll admit, right? I've, I think the East is better than the West this year. The fact that he made it at 23 in a conference where the Suns made the finals last year, right? The jazz were frauds. I think we will both admit that, but still like he had to put in work and they missed, he missed the first three games of that series. So Luca to me is ascending this all-time plane. I'm really curious to see what he does in the next round, but we'll preview that in a, a little bit. We're going to talk about um, Warriors Grizzlies first. So I believe JD, we were recording our podcast in the middle of Game Four. So Game Four, the Warriors ended up winning 101 to 98. Then they got absolutely curb stomped. <laughs> by the Grizzlies 134 to 95 in game five. And then they beat the Grizzlies pretty handily in game six. Um, Ja 
in the middle of game three, we talked about that. He, you know, had the bone bruise. He ended up missing the rest of the series. Um, what did you take away from the last three games of Warriors Grizzlies, JD? Um, experience. As I said before, experience would be the key difference. And I think that's what it really came down to, just Golden State knowing what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Well, you had um, Dylan Brooks, on the other hand, playing hero ball. But it wouldn't be Dylan Brooks if he wasn't playing hero ball, J.D. Yeah. And I mean, it's all fat and dandy when you're on, but come on, man. Like, game four, Dylan Brooks probably shouldn't have even been on the floor. Was that the game he came back? Yeah, it was the game he came back. He shot five for 19, two for nine from three. He had four turnovers and five fouls. Yeah, he was he was just I feel like he was out there pressing way too much. Now game five, I mean game five, everything went Memphis way, but not for a doubt in my mind did I think that um Memphis was gonna win the series, especially without Ja. Hey, if I could interrupt you real quick, JD, I don't think game five was about Memphis. I think game five is 100% about Golden State taking their foot off the gas, being like, oh, we killed their spirit in game four because it was a pretty good comeback by Golden State to win game four, right? Yeah. This was ahead most of the game. You know, it looked like they were in control and then Golden State wins at the last second. I think they took their foot off the gas being like, we killed their spirits. They clearly didn't kill their spirits because they won by almost 40. Um, I just... I think game five was more their effort thing than anything Memphis did. It, I'm sure you would agree with that, but I just, I wanted to get that in there. Yeah. I think that was a huge thing. And speaking, cause I don't think it's too much to really dive into with, um, as far as this series, when we mm-hmm. spoke pretty much uh, heavily on it, but can I say this one thing, you know, it's a lot of great myths in the NBA, right? Untuck carry. Um, no headband, LeBron, which that kind of went away. Um, face mask, LeBron. Um, what was the one with Kobe? It was one with Kobe, but you know, there was a lot with Kobe, yeah. But you want to know my favorite myth that I think we have to just call it like a fact, it's a fact now. Game six, Clay isn't a myth anymore. This is who he is. Like, it's not a myth. We can talk about so many things and they can be myths. Because, you know, a myth is a great legend that's not entirely true. I think we've seen Kyrie not all the time go off with a jersey on top. When it seen LeBron look human without the headband, he didn't always dominate with the face mask. But game says Clay. This is not a myth. I think this who he is. It's in his blood. Like he's just different in game six. I, I can't recall seeing something just happen that changed him. 
but I think we always knew he he gonna put up numbers, but I think because game six is so pivotal, he just makes sure that on his end, y'all will be in the game. And if he touches it, y'all will win the game. I I just wanna I just wanted to say that at this point, no more mythical talk. This is a character within himself. Game says Clay Thompson is real. And if you don't want to see him winning four or five. I mean, that's a good point. Although Denver lost in five, so they didn't even get to get the brunt of a <laughs> Clay game six. That I feel like Clay this playoffs. If we could talk about Clay for a second, because you know people just tend to gravitate towards the great performances, ignore the bad ones. Yeah. But I mean, he was great in Game Six. He was great in Game Four of the Denver series, which they lost. He was great in Game Three, which they won. I mean, he's been pretty up and down these playoffs. Yeah. Um, but and it's what it's what would have happened if he played a, re- a full season. Honestly, I, he wouldn't. No, I think if he played the full season, I don't think he would have been this bad. Like, not. No, I'm saying this. This, this is what would have happened had he been because he's just coming back from two years. He really okay. didn't have a full season to get under his leg. So this is what you got to expect at some mm-hmm. point. Like when he's came back, he just start off on fire. He was cold. Then he hit a high streak. And now it's okay. I got to find my rhythm again. I got to find my groove. He's starting to actually move more like clay of, oh, it's just the timing is off. Well, and we saw in game six, right? I think this was the most encouraging clay game because he was hitting the contested shots like clay in the zone hits, right? Like he was coming off those handoffs. He was catching in fire in like right away. And I, I think JD, one thing I'll give clay and Steph credit for the Grizzlies and nuggets are trying really hard to run the muscle line. Right. And I don't think the percentages yeah. back this up entirely. I, they probably do for Steph, but for clay and Steph, I feel like they've both been really good from two, right? Taking what the defense gives them, you know, if the defense is giving them mid range jumpers, they'll take the mid range jumpers. They'll take it to the rim. Like there was one game in particular. So there was a game where, which came to clay shoot. Oh, seven from three. So six of 20 from the field. Oh, seven from three it means he shot six of 13 from two. Obviously you want your two point percentages to be at 50%, but for a guy who hasn't played in two years, I'll, I'll take six for 12, six for 13 from two. Right. Especially when, all points you get from him are essentially gravy, right? Because you have Jordan Poole. You have Steph. Clay's your third option at this point. And then, you know, you have, you're going to get 15 from Wiggins. And that's probably. in moments. Right. This Warriors team, I'll say the one thing they have on the like older Warriors teams is I think they have a more diverse array of scoring options. Right. Not like the 2017 Warriors team and 2018 Warriors teams. You can't compare them to any team. Right. Because those teams <laughs> were a cheat code. But if you compare this team to like 2015, who do you trust more off the dribble, JD? Andrew Wiggins or Harrison Barnes? I think I trust Andrew Wiggins. Who do you trust yeah, more? I'll take, I'll take Wiggins. Poole or, I mean, who's even comparable to Jordan Poole on that 2015 team? Barbosa. Yeah. I mean, Sean Livingston and Poole are two completely different players, but just in terms of their role, that might be the best comparison. I'd say the only thing this team is lacking that the 2015 team had is that Iguodala guy, right? That stabilizer, the extra ball handler, because... 
I'm going to talk about Draymond. I think Draymond had a really good game six, right? He was actually shooting the ball. Going into that game, he shot 24 times through five games. He's like terrified to look at the rim sometimes. He's turning it over a lot. And JD, the Warriors need old Draymond on offense as much as they need old Draymond on defense, right? And he can still do, he's still probably one of the three best defensive players in the league. He's not the guy he used to be on offense for a lot of reasons. But JD, I feel like he doesn't even look at the basket sometimes. I feel like sometimes, like you saw the Grizzlies were just like, okay, Steven Adams, you can play center field. We'll trust you to recover back to Steph when you see them going for a handoff, but you're not even going to have to guard Draymond because Draymond's not going to make you pay for ignoring him. And we saw him be more aggressive in game six, but JD, do do you trust Draymond to actually be aggressive? Um, At this point, I would say no, but he, he is needed. That is something that he needs to do because that's a gap within their team that he must feel. Can't nobody else feel that. He's one of them guys that it he hurts you too bad coming off the court because he's that valuable in what he does. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you just need him to be a guy like his passing is great, right? He is such a smart basketball player. No one's disputing that, but what helps you be a smart basketball player is you actually deciding, Hey, I'm going to try to score because if I try to score or if I go for a layup, teams are going to have to actually respect me. Hell, all he has to do is take 15 footers. I mean, JD, they're ignoring him so much. They're just standing their guy in the restricted area. Like you don't have to guard Draymond and yeah. So I believe he's, I'm going to check how many field goal attempts he had in game six. He had 31 for the series. So game six, yeah, 14 field goal attempts. JD, that's half the shots. <laughs> Almost half the shots in the series in one game. And I think Draymond knows he needs to do that, right? But at the same time, he needs to strike a balance because we've seen Draymond go out of control before. Like, you remember game six against Toronto? where he tried to do, like, he had one of the all-time best box scores, but he was trying to do way too much, and they ended up losing the game. Uh-huh. I think there's a balance there. And I think he's, it's, that balance is hard, which is what makes Draymond so great, is that he achieves that balance a lot of the time. But I think they need Draymond. Maybe not to get out of the Western Conference, right? Well, t- I think now's a good time to go ahead and move on and preview the Western Conference Finals, because you're right. There wasn't much to talk about from the Memphis side of this. I think they're going to need Draymond at some point to be full Draymond, either against Miami or Boston. I think they're going to need that guy. What do you, how do you feel about Draymond going into the later rounds of the playoffs? Like, do you think he can do that for them? I think he can. I think, um, I think he will versus, I think he will versus a team like um, Dallas only because by Dallas not playing big at all, Draymond not worried about anybody coming over that can really stop him. It's more about how can I just force my way into the inside and it's either they found me or not. 
I don't think they have a big guy that can, you know, kind of intimidate him. Like, we've seen a lot of times in his career versus OKC. His problem was not the fact that he wouldn't shoot um, at all. It was when he decided to shoot. And a lot of the times he would go down there to actually attempt to shoot would be when Serge and Adams was in, in, a, in a facility. He wasn't scared of nobody else. And I wouldn't say necessarily say scared. I just think Draymond, I think sometimes he's too smart for his own good. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I... So I'm going to go ahead and give my prediction for the series. I'll ask you for yours after. I think I'm going to go Golden State in seven. And I think Luka is going to give them a real run for their money. But at the end of the series, I, I just feel like the Warriors have too many weapons. And we've seen this over and over again in the playoffs, right? Like we saw it with Jokic in the first series. We didn't get to really see a full series of Ja. And that's something I wish we had, right? I wish we got to see Ja you know, adapt to this defense because he figured out the Minnesota defense and Minnesota guarded him a lot better than Golden State did. Minnesota was on top of Ja, making his life difficult and in a way Golden State just frankly isn't capable of. And I thought that I wanted to see that, but it obviously didn't happen. It's in the past and we'll see Ja next year, hopefully. JD, um, how do you feel this series is going to go and who do you think it will be representing the Western conference in the finals? Golden state in six. I got Golden state in six. I think, I think Dallas will win. Um, one on the road and one at home. I could definitely see it happening. And Luca's a special talent, man. We saw it tonight, but it's one on three for scoring in this series. And I think they'll need Dinwiddie and Brunson to play like they did tonight every night. And we've seen through the playoffs. That's just not something they're both capable of. Dinwiddie's had what? I think four good games. Sorry, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to cut you off. You were saying. I think that... um. I think Bronson will have a good series. I, I I only think that because I think when one thing about Dallas that I watched in the regular season that they did versus Golden State, whenever Steph is guarding Dorian Finney-Smith, they allow him to go to us to paint. They allow him to crash the offensive glass. They allow him to play big, which obviously bodes well for them because Steph Curry's guarding them. But that go also goes into who's guarding uh, Brunson. Brunson is a strong finisher, right? I think Golden State would be tough for Bronson because they're going to put a bigger body on him. So it goes both ways. Who would you rather be the next guy for Golden? I mean, for Dallas 
Bronson or Finney Smith. They living with Finney Smith 10 times out of 10. And I think that'll be one of the times where Dinwiddie have to actually be who he's being paid to be. I think that's a good way to close it off. Um, we both think the Warriors will be representing the West in the finals. Um, just crazy, crazy way the West playoffs Absolutely. played out. Um, really fun. But let's go ahead and move on to the East, JD, and let's start with the first seed, Miami Heat. Dispatching the 76ers in six games. The last time we talked, the series was tied 2-2 after James Harden's only good showing of this playoffs. And I don't think that's hyperbole to say that. Um, game five, the Sixers lost 120 to 85. And then game six, they lost 99 to 90 in two games that weren't, I mean, the game five was, you know, whatever. Game six wasn't that close. Game six, it was a, a fake ass comeback, as I like to call it. Yeah. And domination. JD, I, I don't think there's any other place to start but James Harden, right? And I'll go ahead and get this started, and I'll let you throw down the, the alley-oop. James Harden was brought in to be the anti-Ben Simmons, right? And Ben Simmons deserved a lot of flack coming off of that, you know, playoffs last year, right? Like, he wasn't um, – he passed up the dunk. He was pretty passive, right? But you knew this about Ben Simmons, and the trade-off was he's an elite defender and an elite passer, Right. Nobody makes their teammates shoot better from three than Ben Simmons does. That was like a pretty well observed statistic last year. JD James Harden took two shots in the second half, second half of game six. Two. And they're both threes. James Harden said after the game, when asked why he didn't take more shots, the ball just didn't come back to me. Bro, you're bringing the ball up the court. Shoot the damn ball. <laughs> It's not that hard. And I think that trade was really a disaster for both teams. Um, Obviously, if you're Brooklyn, you have to make that trade because you don't want Harden on your team. But Simmons had back surgery. For the Sixers, you lost Drummond, who if Drummond was back, you didn't have to rush and beat back. Yeah. Right? If Drummond is healthy, hell, I would have taken the chances with him and Paul Reed in this series. You probably still would have lost in five or six, but at least you weren't going down fighting with DeAndre Jordan, right? It was just an embarrassing, embarrassing performance, and it sucks because Joel Embiid put on... Fantastic season. Fantastic season, and it's a terrible way for it to end because he shot two of ten in the second half, right? He had no help. Danny Green tore his ACL, and JD said maybe his MCL too, which he's his career is probably done. What a sad way for one of the best role players ever to go out. Um, so Matisse Tybel was in there, and they weren't guarding him. They just weren't guarding him. You know, Maxi was great this year. There were three guys that went down with a fight in game six. Three, by my count. It was Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxi, and Jake Milton. That was it. That was it. And JD, it was just a pathetic way for the Sixers to end. Tobias Harris said this team isn't mentally tough. I wonder who he, I wonder who he could be talking about. He's talking about James Harden. There's no one else he could be talking about. No one else. It was and literally, if he is mentioning anybody else, you will have to imply assume he's talking about Embiid. And he's not talking about Embiid. That's the only person who has been there. That entire stint with him. 
he's the only remaining piece that has been at the entire stint outside of maybe Corkmus. And I'm going to just be honest. I feel validated with everything I said about Philly. I said Tobias won't withstand those performances, and Miami didn't care how great he played. It was no way Tobias Harris could beat them. And I said before the series started, Jimmy was going to make a, a stand at Tobias Harris. What this? What's the first video we seen after they eliminated him? Tobias Harris over me? Then, I also said James Harden will never be that guy in the playoffs. He put no fear in Miami. Last thing, terrible coach. And he did exactly what I said he was going to do. He made no adjustments. Now, I want to refer back to something that you said. And I just want to get this out the way. I still think Brooklyn won that trade. Regardless, hands down, Brooklyn wins the trade. For one, that was the best thing that could have happened to them because they got rid of Harden, who didn't want to be there. They didn't have to overpay him. And honestly, if Harden wanted to win, he should have never asked for that trade. Harden should have never asked for that trade. Because it's a good chance that even if Ben Simmons don't come back half as good as he's supposed to be, they don't need him to do nothing anyway but play defense, set screens, and cut to the rim. Even if he don't come back and do that, they still got Seth Curry and Andre Drummond, and it's likely Drummond may go back. It's a good chance there. And Philly still doesn't move up the bar with James Harden. So I think no matter what, Brooklyn wins the trade. Um... And I think everything that has gone on within the last three years with Philly is Doc Rivers' fault. No, 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 not, not, no. I ain't gonna lie. I'm not gonna say the last three years. I think the front office messed all this up. I I'm going to blame the front office old and new, including the hiring and keeping of Doc Rivers after last playoffs. Not trading Tobias Harris. His, it's very unlikely now Tobias will have high trade value. after Maybe after this contract, I could see a team like Golden State actually making him something. Um, outside of that, with what he's being paid now, he He's absolutely nobody will want him. No, you'd rather go and get Boyan Bogdanovich for half the price. Yeah. Hell, you'd rather you'd rather get Bogdan Bogdanovich. Him. Bogdan Bogdanovich is like I, I think he's appreciably a worse player than Tobias Harris, but for that contract, you get, get him. You get more from both of those guys than you get from Tobias. The only thing Tobias is offering you is scoring and sometimes rebounding. At least with the other two, they know how to pass the ball. We know with Boyan, he can actually rebound. He's a better defender than Tobias because he's absolutely trash at defense. 
No one would accuse Bojan Bogdanovic of being a good passer, though, J.D. I, I don't think that's... <laughs> I think no one would accuse Bojan of that, but I think Tobias is gone. Hey, he better than Tobias that passes. The only thing, right, Daryl, I think, has made a lot of mistakes since he joined. I do think a lot of the problems stem from the old front office, like you were saying, right? Like, specifically the Colangelo regime, where they traded that Jimmy Butler trade was awful. They should have never made it. They should have never, they should have doubled down on Fultz. They should have, you know, not traded for Tobias Harris. I don't even remember who they sent to Los Angeles for Tobias, but it was a bad trade. <laughs> you know, I can't remember either. It was, it's been so long, but Oh, Shamit. That's right. They did send Shamit. It was Shamit and sheesh. Shaman's been on so many teams in four years. That's funny. Um, but, you know, maybe they shouldn't have made the Tobias Harris trade. Maybe they should have empowered Ben Simmons. Maybe they should have traded for Jimmy and not Tobias Harris. There's so many ways they went wrong. But let's just go through Daryl's particular sins in Philadelphia. Okay. He signs DeAndre Jordan, which is the most recent move he made, but also probably the worst one because DeAndre Jordan is the worst player in the NBA. Right. Hands down. Yeah. I, and you know, you're catering to your coach who you didn't hire. Right. I don't, the way they did their off season last year was so weird or not last year in 2020 because they hired doc first. Then they hired Daryl. Usually it's the other way around. And, you know, obviously you paid doc, so you can't fire him right away. But, and I, Daryl said he's going to be the coach of the 76ers next year. So unless the Lakers trade for him, he will be back in Philadelphia next year. Harden, what they do with him is going to be fascinating because he is due for a lot of money, a lot of money. And Daryl, that's his boy, right? That's James Harden's his boy. And I don't know if he's going to, have the guts to not pay Harden. Harden's was terrible. This he year. will, he will pay him. He, but like you have to get him to take some kind of discount, right? Get him to go do four for one sixty like Drew did, right? Just something, something that's not a max deal. You can't pay him sixty one million dollars in twenty twenty seven. JD, James Harden probably will be playing basketball in twenty twenty seven. The way he <laughs> takes care of his body, like you can't justify doing that, and it's. It's tough, JD, because Harden was one of the best players of the last decade, right? I think everyone would say he was probably the best two guard of the last, who played the whole decade, last decade. He just isn't, everyone knew his game was going to age like sour milk. Yeah. And he doesn't take care of himself. He had so many sloppy turnovers in game six. He just was letting himself get stripped. And at that, like, I just don't know how you can justify paying him. I don't think, I don't think you can justify it. Just at the point you, that's just what you're gonna do. It's tough because Maxi. I think we both agree Maxi better than Harden. And can we? Let's just talk about Maxi. Yeah, he was. De- he was definitely, definitely the second best player for them. I mean, twenty points a game on forty five percent from the field 34% from three he made 93% of his free throws and he was getting to the foul line five times a game in that series so he was getting fouled he is a really good player 
and their future entirely hinges on him because Harden will be this guy or worse next year. And Bede, and Bede, I will say this. He's not blameless for the play on the court, but I do think he needs to be a little less honest in press conferences. I, think I, he, I agree. To like, an extent. There's, he threw Ben Simmons under the bus last year. But right? he wasn't talking about being. I mean, he brought up, we everybody, passed up an open dunk. Everybody assumed it was being, and actually, not, not just him, but Massey and Thibault came out and said he was talking about Matisse. He wasn't talking about being. I mean, in any case, I mean, he still... It, just, it did sound like it, though, but he was actually talking about way before Ben did that. And let's be real, J.D., what's more important in that situation? What Joel actually said or how Ben Simmons received it? It's how Ben Simmons received it, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think either of us like that, but that's just the facts of the situation. And then this year, he's like, James isn't ever going to be that guy in Houston again, so stop asking about it. Like, that's also probably not what you should be saying. You should be like, oh, I'm excited about our future with James, right? Lying is good <laughs> in press conferences. <laughs> I I think Joel needs, and you don't need to be like a full, like, oh, you know, James is the best player in the NBA. We're going to be, we're going to win the championship next year. But you could be like, oh yeah, I think James will bounce back. I think James is going to be better. You don't, I don't think you should get up on the dais and say, hey, I don't think James is that guy anymore. I don't think that's, JD, I personally don't think that's smart. No, it's not, it's not smart. But I mean, what, what can we really expect, you know? I mean, he, he don't have a guy to tell him what he can and can't say anymore. They got rid of every vet that took him under their wing. Amir Johnson was a great vet for him. Um, Jimmy, okay. Jim, Jimmy was paying and be fast. Jimmy was paying and be fast. And you was you would hear him try to coach and be doing those press conferences. JJ Reddick. MB is the vet over there, and he's still young. Because we can't really look at Tobias Harris as his vet when Tobias been on number trash teams. No offense to Tobias on that part, but he's always been on trash teams. What can he tell MB? Then you got guys that like, you got guys that literally on the team that none of them are in situations that they've been in before outside of Harden and Embiid. We know Harden can't take criticism from his own um, teammates. So it's not, it's no surprise that Embiid is being very, um, Detailed and descriptive. I don't, that's what you got to expect. I love that characterization of it. Um, do you want to talk Miami now, or do you want to save that for the Boston preview? Boston preview because there's not much to say about them that we didn't say before. That's fair. I mean, Milwaukee or Miami is one of the most consistent teams in the league. Milwaukee was not one of the most consistent teams in the league, and we'll talk about them now. Um, while while we were recording, game four had just finished, so we only have three games to talk about. Game five, um, the Bucks won 110 to 107. 
game six, one of the best individual duels I think has, that's happened in the past decade. Um, those Celtics won 108 to 95 in a game that was a lot closer than the final score reflected. And then today, um, the Celtics kicked the Bucks in the ass. And I think, I think the Suns are saving the Bucks a lot of flack today by the way they came out because the Bucks did not come out much better. But we'll talk, we'll talk more about them in a second. JD, I really love the way the Bucks closed game five. And other than Giannis, I don't think I liked anything else about them the rest of the series. They, I mean, Drew was inconsistent as usual. Pat Connaughton was a revelation. I didn't know he was this good, (laughs) right? He was killing the Celtics. And then other than those two, it feels like the Bucks just were like, oh, hey, we really miss our other ball handler here in Chris Middleton. And he was such a huge factor for us. What do you think went wrong for the Bucks in the series? Or do you think it was just the Celtics being not much better than them? I think it was a combination of both. One being, Bud has not made the adjustment after all these years that some teams can beat you from the three if you continue to let them shoot. And every time they lose... It's because of that. When they win, it's because teams didn't make shots, to be completely honest. When when Miami beat them, they played great defense and made shots. When Toronto beat them, Marc Gasol finally started making shots. Danny Green wasn't making shots. Who steps in and makes a lot of big shots? Fred Van Vliet. Norm Powell was stepping in and making shots. Lowry started making shots. Literally, Siakam making shots. This is what happens to Milwaukee. And they coach year after year, hasn't made adjustments. When they won last year, if KD had one person to make more shots, they win. Boston. Every game, every game they lost, whoever that was open was missing shots. When they won, they made shots. Grant Grant Williams started off missing shots. Second half come, he flips the switch, and he's knocking down everything he put up. That's all it is, and they have not made adjustments. But on the flip side for Boston, Boston never backed down. They were good. Great defensively. Yeah, Giannis was putting up numbers, but they made them have to call tough calls. It wasn't. uh, And the big thing about Giannis numbers was that Giannis made free throws. Because let's not sit here and act like he just dominated Boston doing what he wanted at will. He made a lot of free throws. He shot probably the best from the free throw line outside of game six in the finals last year, this series. He just made a lot of free throws because he was going up against a great defensive team. But that's that's really off uh, as far as this series go. Boston made shots and they took advantage of Bud's weakness that he hasn't changed in years. Yeah, and I don't think a coach would be on the hot seat after a performance like that, but Bud probably should be because even without Middleton, when the Bucks won, they looked like a lot better. They looked like they were a lot better than the Celtics, right? In game five, when everything came crashing down for the Celtics, I mean, Drew 
made plays. That was an incredible sequence at the end of game five by Drew Holiday. But like you said, it was part Drew Holiday. Like you were texting me, let's say. It was part Drew Holiday. It was part Marcus Smart not seeing Jason Tatum open on the sideline, right? On the first play, it was part Drew. It was also part nobody else on the Celtics aside from Marcus Smart moving. Yeah. And then in game six, game six and seven, Jason Tatum made some of the toughest threes. They weren't trying to let him get threes, but he was making tough ones, right? And I think that's a little bit of the difference too, is that Tatum started making his contested threes. And I don't know if that'll stick, right? Those are really hard shots to make on a consistent basis. But that's about the best. Game six was about the best I've ever seen Jason Tatum play. And game seven, he was still great. He was making clutch threes. And he was just killer the entire, not the entire series. Game four, he was dreadful. But he stepped up in the latter half of the series. And I'm glad he did. How do you feel Tatum did through this whole series? I loved it. I literally loved it. And I think I think it was the best thing, honestly, for him. He went out and I I always say sometimes he, he's too relaxed. He was finally aggressive and he he made it a thing for him to say. I'm going to take what I want. And I've been saying that's all he had to do. It's literally the same thing I, I used to say about Paul George. I say all the time about Jason Tatum. And now he's doing it. I think that was literally the, the, the big difference. And I'm so proud of him for taking it that way and doing what he had to do. Because, I mean, we can we can honestly say that now. Who is it that really want to defend uh, aggressive Jason Tatum? I think Jimmy will. I want to see how Jimmy guards him, right? I think think Jimmy and and PJ are going to annoy him. And it's going to be up to. I really think it'll be up to um, how Tatum deals with it. Are you ready for the Marcus Smart, Kyle Lowry flap off? If Kyle Lowry plays, that's another injury I forgot to mention, by the way. He was out for game six and game five, I think. But if Kyle Lowry does come back, are you ready for a Marcus Smart, Kyle Lowry flap off? Um, kind of. No, never. (laughs) Nobody likes watching flops. Another thing about Tatum and Tatum, to me, stood out a lot more than Brown did. Brown got a lot of the Drew Holiday treatment this series. So I feel like this wasn't his best series he's ever played. But he was still really good. But yeah. to me, Tatum was the standout guy for this series, right? Like, he was fighting through tough physical defense. Wes Matthews played phenomenal defense, right? Pat Connaughton was playing really good defense. Grayson Allen, I don't know why the fuck he was out there. He was terrible. And I think that's another reason why Bud should be on the hot seat is because his insistence on playing Grayson Allen. Um, but Tatum was going through a hard physical defense. He was making a lot of great passes today. He did have seven turnovers, but when you win by almost 30, who cares? Um, he had eight assists. It felt like he was finding Grant Williams open on a lot of those threes that he made. And it felt like he was taking advantage of the pressure Milwaukee was trying to put on him. 
did you feel like you saw like just just for the season in general, but this series as well? Have you feel like you've seen growth from these two young guys as playmakers? Absolutely. Um, I've seen it during the regular season. Once they started sharing the ball, their team became 10 times better. I exactly. think a, a big problem that they had prior to that was the fact they wasn't sharing the ball. Once they became more willing passers and actually started to acknowledge they they teammates were capable of more, I think that's when Boston became a, a scary team. I I agree with that. Game five was definitely a game where those two were like, oh, shoot, it's ISO ball time. It's Jalen time. It's Jason time. And they lost game five. But game six, I mean, Tatum had 46. <laughs> and I think Brown had 22 and Marcus had 21. So when you get that, that trumps Giannis's. Let's talk about Giannis and let's talk about the way they guarded Giannis. Giannis shot bad by his standards, but I still feel like he made a massive impact on this series. I mean, 34 points a game, 14 and I think 14.7 rebounds, seven assists. Like those are insane numbers, JD. And I feel like Giannis, he had to do too much for them to win, but I think he deserves incredible props for getting them two seven games against this tough Boston defense who I would say guarded him better than, you know, even Miami or Toronto did. Um, I don't think they did it better than him, than them, but I like it though. I think here's why I say it's better and you might may or may not disagree. I thought they had the guys, I thought Horford and Williams, right? I thought those two were the only two you had to throw on him, right? And I thought those two were doing a good job of making him miss layups, right? Being really physical with him. And I thought that they were doing a good job in that regard. Do you do you not think that, I'm trying to think, why do you think that Toronto and Miami were better at guarding Giannis off? Um, I think for the fact that they were still able to, the way that they did it, I think was they kind of took his spirit away from him. I don't think Boston ever did that. I think Toronto kind of made him feel he couldn't do no more. I would, you know, I think I would agree with that, but also I would counter saying this Giannis has more of an in-between game than that Giannis did. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a development. I think it's a big difference. Right. I think this is a big difference in player between now and 2020. I think Giannis is very clearly, I mean, I don't see how you could say anyone else is better than him right now. Just the way he can dominate every facet of the game, like offensively, defensively. I... JD, do you think he's the best player in the world? And if so, why not? Or if not, why not? <laughs> there we go. Um, right now, it's kind of hard to say who he is. Um, I was saying KD, but honestly, I think I need to see a full season, all guys healthy, and everybody being able to go head-to-head, matchup by matchup. I don't think... I don't think we had that in so long. 
I think we just be going based off of who's dominating at what period and how they doing it. And I think we kind of forgetting that they not going against some of the best. And usually all of the best are playing in the same position. I think right now we're not even seeing all of the best at the same position facing off. I think I like the Luca versus book battle and we already knew who was better between those two, you know, but as far as every other series, this, this playoffs, can we say outside of Steph versus Ja before Ja got hurt, we really seen two guys known as some of the best at their position facing off. I mean, maybe Tatum and KD, but they didn't even, they weren't really guarding each other. So it's like, we really didn't see what we used to. But I don't think we'll ever go back to that, right? Like even you notice when Kawhi started to get more offensive usage, he wasn't that guy. Like he, like even like, let, let's just use Kawhi. When, when, it, Lu- when it matter most, that's, that's when he'll defend him. And I think right. like but, versus Luca, it wasn't until the fourth quarter. He really said, all right, y'all, I got him. But I'm like, I think, I see what you're saying. I just don't think I agree with it. I don't, I think the league is past the point like in the nineties, right? You could have Jordan. The nineties is a bad example. Trying to think, let's just do the eighties, right? You had Larry Bird and Dr. J. Those two were going to guard each other, right? Because that's just the way it was back then. Now we don't have that as much. Now we have, Oh, Hey, we're going to play four wings and one five. Right. So we're going to put our best wing defender on Kawhi. We're going to put our second best wing defender on, you know, Paul George. We're going to put our third best wing defender on Luke Kennard. Right. And your third best wing defender is probably your offensive star. And on the other end, Kawhi isn't expending that kind of energy guarding, you know, the Luka Doncic's anymore the whole game. I just, I feel like the league is, I don't know. <laughs> I'll be curious to hear what you think about this. I just feel like the league is past like the one-on-one star matchups, especially with zone, right? Yeah, yeah. Where you- I, I agree with everything you said. I'm just saying, for me, it's kind of difficult because of that. That's fair. Because I include both sides of the ball. That's fair. I think Giannis is one of the best two-way players in the league right now, though. I think that's... And I think defense, too. I think the nature of defense has changed so much in the past... You know, since they changed the illegal defense rule, right, where now you're having to guard so much more space because you need to utilize the space. And I think the defenses have finally caught up to the offenses. I think we're finally at that point in the NBA because before I think the complaint that the defense was left for dead, I think that was fair. But I think the Celtics have like they move on a string the bucks defense is usually pretty good but like you said they allowed way too many threes (laughs) just it was ridiculous what was going on today but i feel like we're not going to see like the superstar defender like the superstar offensive player be you know scotty pippen anymore right i feel like that kind of guy is dead Part, and I mean, it's, it's, it's often, no, it's just rare now. And mm-hmm. that's what I miss. Like, I enjoyed watching um, Giannis try to defend KD last year and KD trying to defend Giannis. It was it was something I just like watching. 
I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching Giannis versus Kawhi. I enjoyed, hell, I enjoyed Jimmy versus LeBron. You know, it just, I, I just, I just like it. Um, even, um, who was it? Kawhi versus Luca. Like we didn't see Steph versus Ja, and we didn't see Ja versus Ant on both sides, but Ant was taking that challenge of guarding Ja. So we kind of seen those guys going head to head. They were going at it. Um, even with Steph and Ja, they were seeking each other out on defense. So we kind of like you know, I just I missed that. I'm going to change the subject rapidly, JD, but I don't want to talk about the Bucks too much longer. Right, but here's, here's, no, I, I just have a question about something Bud did not do. Okay. So you're, you're the Bucks, JD, right? And you have, you know, you're missing, you're, you're missing a star shot creator. So you need to make it up on the defensive end, right? You need to stop them from scoring every chance you get. Why not play one of the best guys who could pick up full court in the league in Javon Carter and throw him in Marcus Smart's jersey. Like, why didn't he play more? He only played 45 minutes in this series. Oh, I'm, I don't have the garbage time numbers. So before today, he played 45 minutes in this whole series. That's ridiculous. He should have been in Marcus Smart's jersey, picking up 94 feet. He should have played 40 minutes today. Okay, that's probably a little too extreme. He should have played 30 minutes today. Like, Marcus Smart, we saw what happens when he gets pressured. He can make dumb plays. And I don't know why, JD, I don't know why they didn't play Javon Carter more. They don't trust his offense, which I feel y'all already run a one man offense anyway. What 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 does that matter? He shot 40% from the corners last year. I where did he he was in Phoenix last year? He shot 40% from the corners in Phoenix last year. Just like he's probably a better option than Grayson Allen. Like, I'm sorry, Grayson Allen isn't that guy. He shot 25% from three heading into today's game, and he shot horribly from three again today. The and Bucks, literally, that's the only reason he's on the floor. The Bucks, JD, the Bucks today shot worse from three than the Rockets did in the game where they missed 27 straight threes. That's, that's sick. It's sick, and I think Middleton probably would have helped that. I think Middleton probably would have hit a couple threes, but I don't think even then can do they win game seven if he played? I don't think not, so. Probably not in Boston. And I don't think so because of the defense. Why did they try to lose game 82? Like, why didn't they try to have game seven in Milwaukee? Because everybody wanted to play the Bulls. I, I just. Which was stupid. <laughs> I would have rather played the Nets <laughs> based on how the first round went out and based on how game one for Milwaukee Boston went. Boston wasn't ready to play Milwaukee. Milwaukee was ready to play Boston because they actually went through a harder first round series. And that's not the narrative that everyone, including myself, would have had you believe after the first round, like after the end of the season when everyone's like, oh, the Bulls are going to be easy out. Bulls fought hard, man. And I mean, I think Middleton being hurt, I understand I'm higher on Middleton than some others are probably, but at the very least, he gives you another ball handler. At the very least, he gives you another guy who can hit a spot up three. And they were missing both of those in this series. And I think 
it's a tragedy that he missed this series because I still think it would have been very competitive even if he was healthy and it probably still would have gone seven. But it doesn't matter. The Bucks are done. I mean, they still, the way they went out swinging, I respect them a hell of a lot for that. I respect the hell out of Giannis. But on to the conference finals preview, JD. What is the thing you'll be looking forward to most in the Miami-Boston series? The one thing that we sing the stars do. We seen Jason Tatum feel nobody could stop him while he played some solid defense. And we seen the same thing from Jimmy. I'm looking forward to seeing who budge first. Who's going to do what? It's going to be a very great defensive series. I think um, I think that Al Horford don't have the same impact versus Miami that he had versus um, Milwaukee. And I think that could be good and bad for Boston because they're going to need to be able to out-rebound Miami because Miami have a bunch of ball hawks. But at the same time, I think they may be able to play a lot smaller, but just as long as Miami. And even if Bam does shut out um, Horford, the fact that Lowry might not be there, I think Marcus Smart has a huge advantage on all the other point guards for Miami. So he may be able to use his size and do a lot more physically because this is going to be a physical series. This is going to be a in-your-face series at that. And I think because they have history from Easter Conference Finals a couple of years ago, I think that Boston is trying to avenge every loss they had the last couple of years. And I think that Miami is the one team that it, people may think it was um, Milwaukee, but I think the top two teams they wanted was Brooklyn and Miami. For one, Brooklyn embarrassed them last year with Jalen Brown out. And I think this that this year they wanted to say, this is what we could have did had we had them. And with Miami, I feel, because that series, they made Boston so uncomfortable, and you could see a lot of questioning within themselves as a team. I think Boston this year are so confident that they want to say, try it now. You can't bully us. You can't get in us the way that y'all did. You can't frustrate us. Try it now. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. Although just I think the last time Boston and Milwaukee played each other in the playoffs would have been what 2019, right? The last year Kyrie was there. Yeah, and Boston got a gentleman sweep. <laughs> that was one of the funniest series of all time. But yeah, it would be totally cool for them to avenge the 2020 loss. I mean, other than Hayward and I guess Horford would have been gone that year. Other than Hayward and Kemba, the team is mostly the same. And I think a lot of those guys probably were on the bubble team. Let me check the roster real quick because I'm sure most of the guys. So Time Lord would have been there. Grant would have been there. 
Tice, Pritchard, I think that would have been his rookie year. That sounds about right. So most of the guys, a lot of the guys on this team were in the bubble. So I could definitely see that angle. I think I think Miami is going to have a hard time scoring on Boston. We're going to have to have Jimmy have a superhuman performance. I think for their offense to break even in this series, like just to be average efficiency, right? Milwaukee's half court efficiency. I saw a stat JD, like before game seven, their half court offense was worse. I think it was actually, if it was the regular season, it only would have been better than Oklahoma city, Orlando. And I believe Houston one, like three bottom of the barrel lottery teams. Right. And this is a team with Giannis. <laughs> so no disrespect to the heat. They don't have a Giannis, right? Their half court offense is, can be very clunky. We saw it at times in the Sixers series. I'm very concerned about their offense. I think Jimmy is a good enough player. He can let them over the finish line, but this needs to be a BAM series. I think this will be a BAM series. I think BAM and Hero show up. They need at least one of them too, right? But I feel like Tyler Hero, JD, I feel like I'd give him the Grayson Allen treatment, how they were doing him on defense. Just have his man set the screen, force the switch, and be like, okay, Tyler, you can't guard me. So, bang, here you go. And I think I'll be curious to see how if they like do any pre-switching with Bam to get Bam to be the guy on that switch. Because we know Bam loves nothing more in this world than switching on to perimeter scorers. Um, I, I'll be curious to see if they kind of do any of that. But JD, I just feel like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess. And Max Struess played well last series. But I feel like those are guys you could pick on in a team context. And I feel like the Celtics are going to call those guys up. Am I crazy for thinking that about the heat? No, I mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I just, I think you can also flip that the other way. Well, Miami, just a team full of dogs. They just, they, they, they hound you and they attack you. They are, the same thing that Milwaukee tried to do at, with Grant Williams winning. The difference is Miami going to contest those same threes. And I think if Milwaukee could have pushed it that way. And another thing is Milwaukee played their offense in the half court runs off of two things. And it's Giannis, a heavy dosage of going downhill and offensive rebounds. I don't think that they have the ball movement of Miami. I don't think they have the IQ that they should have that Miami has. Miami has a lot of smart guys that just make the right play. Everybody in their start lineup are strong cutters. And if we're going to be honest, they all strong shooters in this playoffs. Jimmy is shooting a three better than half the team. I mean, right now, I think it's just going to be one of those dog rugged series and top dog got to come out. I think Boston is, I think Boston is presenting a challenge that Miami didn't face, but I also think Miami doing the same thing because the first round, neither one of those teams could be defended, you know? 
by who they were going against the second round. I think Boston had to go through a moment where they had to get their defensive identity back and actually understand that on offense, we got shot makers. Don't lose your confidence. And I think that'll carry them a long way in this next round. Meanwhile, Miami in this series, they had a wake-up call. After they won those first two, they just knew they were smooth selling. And I think when they lost the next two, it was like, oh, damn, they not finna just lay down and roll over. We really have to bring it. And if you listen to what um Jimmy said in, after the game, I, I want to be able to know we can win games just based off of our defense without having to make shots. Yeah, we need to make shots to win, but we could get easier shots when we play great defense, and that should carry us to the win. And that's what happened in game five. I think they got hit in the mouth by Philly being able to tie it up, and it woke something up in them. So I think it's going to be a dog-rugged series. I can't wait. So I think we we would agree that that Milwaukee and Miami, in the grand scheme, are – about equally as talented defensive teams, right? I, I think that's would you agree with that at the very least? Um, I think Miami and Boston are. I think they well, was the top two defenses, in my opinion. Well, I'm saying from I the think inside out. I think Milwaukee's defense was also pretty good, right? Yeah, very good. I just for me personally, I think the two here right now had the best defenses. So in game one, the Celtics scored 89. Game two, they scored 109. Game three, they scored 101. Game four, they scored 116. Game five, they scored 110. Game six, they scored 108. In game seven, they scored 109 in a game they absolutely dominated. So you need to get to 105 to beat the Celtics, right? I think that's, or you need to get, let's just say you need 110 to beat the Celtics. You are getting 30 from Jimmy. Where's that other 80 coming from? You're going to get what? 15 from Bam? I think in this series, Bam can average 20. Okay, so you get 20 from Bam. That means you got, what, 60 more to go? I don't trust the other guys on this roster to get 60 more points. And I think that's my problem with them. I think they got so many. But that's the thing. They're so deep that you, you don't need a guy to consistently give you 15 every night from them because the night that Tyler Hero not doing it, Victor Oladipo's doing it. The night he not doing it, Gabe Vincent and Matt Struess are cabana for 30 points. They just got a bunch of guys that just step in and for some reason, they just they just do it right and right on time. I think it's better to have that guy that you can consistently say that just do it. But I, another thing is, I think Miami haven't had Tyler. Tyler Hero has not been the best Tyler Hero this playoffs. I think this round right here will bring something out of him. As I think this round right here would actually be a good round for Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Smart wasn't didn't have a great series against Milwaukee. No, he didn't. I think I think this would be a good Marcus Smart round just because he he's finally going to be the biggest guard on the floor again. Drew was played a lot bigger than him, and I think it kind of 
it kind of weighed on Marcus Smart when Drew did switch on to him because Drew stopped him a lot. I, I see what you're saying, Judy, but I just feel like there's going to be a bump right from the from the Jays because one of them won't be getting the Drew Holiday treatment. And I think so. Let's just say you get 60 points combined from the two of them every game. That means you only need, you know, to get 50 more points. I think the margin for error on offensively is a lot lower for Boston. I think they can or, uh, higher or lower Boston can make a lot more mistakes than Miami can on offense. And I think that's oh, why I don't think so. Why? <laughs> why? What, what am I seeing that you're not seeing? I'm not like trying to antagonize. I think, I'm just curious. Cause you said they could make more mistakes. So when I think of mistakes, I think of careless play. And I think with a defense like Miami, you just can't afford to do that. I don't think you a, can a lot of a lot of Miami points come off of being able to force turnovers. Yes, I do think turnovers turnovers weren't what I was referring to when I meant mistakes, but that's a good point. And let me clarify. I think you have a lot more room for bad shooting nights if you're Boston. And if okay. you I think because you're you're right, because if they force a lot of turnovers, Miami, you'll hit transition. And then that's an easy way to make up that margin I was talking about. Right. So I'm going to give you that. My thing is, is in the half court, right? I think Boston, if they control the ball, they just have a lot more margin for error in terms of like, oh, let's just say Jalen Brown shoots it off the side of the rim, right? And they all get back on defense, stop the transition, force the Miami into the half court. I think their half court offense is a lot better than Miami's yeah, half court offense. I, I give you that. I give you that. And that's why, in addition to how good Boston's defense is, that's why I, I'm just going to go ahead and start the predictions now. It's why I favor Boston. And I think Miami, I take Miami very seriously. Right? I take the Eastern Conference a lot more seriously than I take the Western Conference. I think whoever comes out of the East is going to win the championship. And I think, I've been saying, I think whoever comes out of the Boston, my Boston, Milwaukee series was going to win the championship. So it would make sense that I pick Boston. I'm going to pick them in six games, but I, I'd, I still take Miami seriously. Jimmy Butler has been one of the five best players this playoffs. He's been consistently better than Tatum and Brown. I don't think that's really up for dispute. And Tatum's had the best game, but Jimmy's had a lot more great games than Tatum has. I know you're going with Miami. Why would you prefer Miami in this series? Um, I just think they got more dog in them. To be completely honest, and that's a valid I think, reason. <laughs> I, I I think that they're meant to they're mentally stronger than Boston, and they can they. I think they can wear wear Boston down. I think PJ Tucker, like this is a series where a series where PJ Tucker is likely to shine. He's going to get on somebody's nerve. Like we we just saw him frustrate Harden. And I mean, it's it's a big difference between Harden and those other guys on Boston. But he did the same thing with Trey Young, who we could say might be the the most dynamic offensive um, guy that Boston has. I mean, Miami has played up to this point. 
And we've seen P.J. Tucker frustrate the hell out of him. We've seen Jimmy do it. I think I think that it's just it's just a lot of things that Boston to me has to show they could do versus Miami. Cause we didn't see Miami do we we didn't see Miami perform this this way consistently for the past what two, three years. I mean outside of last year versus um Milwaukee and we know we know Miami was out of that series. The half their team was hurt all year anyway. Nobody really gave them much of a chance to win that series. You know, I didn't even really pick them to win that series in the fashion that they did the year before. I said it was likely to go six or seven. And Milwaukee just came out, trampled them. And I think coming back this year, not only do Miami got something to prove, I think that they're just, it's just a bunch of guys that I think just more mentally prepared. I think I you can frustrate. I think you can frustrate the younger Boston guys more than you can the Miami guys. And I think with a with a savvy, irritating asshole like PJ Tucker, matched with the asshole of Jimmy Butler, and just toughness of the rest of the group led by Bam Adebayo. I think, I think I like those, those chances. And then when you think of the switching, I mean, I'd rather see Jimmy Butler against Al Horford than Jason Tatum versus Bam. I think Bam gets more stops than Al Horford. When it matters most, which we know this will be a tightly close series like on the game-to-game basis. And I think when the ball is in each side's hand, who do you think Boston is going to search out on defense? Like Tyler Hero, right? They take Tyler Hero off the floor and they play – who was it they was playing? They they would throw out – Victor Oladipo. Bam, Vic, Jimmy, PJ, and who was they fifth uh, – or was it Struce? For Tanner Tamil Struce, but they was playing Caleb Martin. Vincent. They 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 was playing Caleb Martin the whole life as a defensive guy when the games mattered. And I think that's a they could switch one through five, very strong guys. All move their feet very well. When you look on the other side, you can't have Caleb Pritchard on the I mean Pritchard on the floor. You can't you can't have Payne Pritchard on the floor. Um, I don't think Horford will be able to. I don't think Horford can defend that paint the way he did versus Milwaukee versus Miami the same way because Miami actually shoot mid range shots. Miami actually will pull up and shoot the mid range shots. Yeah, and Giannis killed them. When he actually was like, oh, hey, this 10-footer is wide open. Yeah, and when he chose to shoot a floater, which Miami shoot those a lot too. I think that they – I think it, they can find – like I say, they just got veteran guys. I think they can, you know, just mentally overwhelm them at some point where they can do a little much. And then to add on to it, I think they got the best shooters in the series. 
I don't think they had the best scorers, but I think they had the best shooters in this series. Outside of Payne Pritchard, I don't think that Boston have a real knockdown threat. How dare yeah, you we, disrespect Grant Williams on the day of I his mean, best game of his life? Yeah, we seen him have the best game of his life. Can we can we literally say he's gonna have that for an entire series? No, no, we didn't. We just saw him not have it for an entire series. Exactly. And <laughs> he just ended up having it when it, yeah, it made like, I think, five threes coming into this game. Hold on. I have this series stats. I'll, I'll let you know. And then you got on the other side, we, Matt Struess, not down shooter. Gabe Vincent, not down shooter. Um, Tyler Hero, not down shooter. If they play Duncan Robinson, not down shooter. Cal Lowry went healthy. He's a knockdown shooter. Jimmy, this playoffs has been a knockdown shooter. I think I'd rather take. Now, don't get me wrong. Jalen Brown, knock it down. Jason Tatum, knock it down. I just think. I think Miami just has the veteran way of doing this doing this a little different. And then we don't know how gas Boston would be. They could be overwhelmed. Cause as you said, they had an easier first round. Then they just came through a seven round battle, which could either ramp them up or it could drain them. Cause it was a physically draining series. And then to have to go through it again with a team that's just as physical, maybe even more physical, because they're going to play a bunch of guys. Like, even they even have Tyler Hero playing physically, def- physical on defense. When he's chasing you off the screen, he's bumping you, he's doing little things. They doing, like, they doing stuff like that that you didn't see J- Grayson Allen doing. Pat, Pat Connaughton. Uh, Bobby Portis was on the interior. I, so you know, I think they just they just do a bunch of asshole moves that I think can work in their favor. So, how many games are you giving Miami? How many, Miami and how many? Uh, six or seven. Since you went six, I'm going six. They won the six before. I do think this Boston team is better than the last one that they went against, but at the same time. I'm not going to let you give Boston six and I don't give Miami six. So, you know what? That's fair. So, our official predictions for these series we both have Golden State. I have Golden State in seven. You have Golden State in six. And then I have Boston in six. You have Miami in six. I can't wait to see how that plays out. Um, I think that's it for the power hour this week. We talked about a lot. JD, what do you have coming up on facts and stats? Man, uh, as you know, I just knocked out, which might be my favorite episode, and it's super short. This is a very short episode. I tried to get it in in time before my laptop had died, actually. But it, it was just about um, having a strong team around you, a strong support system, and um, the importance of having one of those and actually – what's the word appreciating it and acknowledging those guys that not just guys, but those people that's around you that really have your best interests at heart and um, have been, been with you along the way of your journey. Just sit down and appreciate those people and um, understand that even when you do feel alone, it's people that's really there with you. Uh, 
Right on. Sounds like a great podcast. Make sure you check out Lynn Sanity. I was going to take out Caleb Lynn tonight, but we honestly had so much to talk about. <laughs> I couldn't find time to squeeze it in. So Caleb, here's to hoping you listen to this and leave me alone for the next pod. Um, Cause I don't have time. I really would rather not be ripped to shreds by you, Mr. Lynn. So please um, spare me. Make sure you check out Circle City Cinema. There, Zach's going to be putting out great content over there. And JD, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Man, man, it was a great time. I love it. You know, this is some, uh, I look forward to doing that. And to be honest, just to say, I'd rather do this and debate with you about some of this stuff because my chances of being wrong are higher than when it was when I went against Bryce. Well, I, I feel like you and I agree a lot. So when we have genuine disagreements like we did tonight, I think it makes it, you know, I you've definitely seen my growth as a basketball fan over the years. I definitely was an analytics nerd when we first met. And now I hardly yeah. ever use them. Oh, thank God. I used to hate when we first met and you brought it up. I was like, dude, leave me alone. To be honest, I hate math and I went into journalism school because I hated math. So True. I don't know why I drifted towards analytics. <laughs> and um, you're the only person who watched basketball as much as me. Yeah. So when you watch a lot, you use the analytics to help you. You don't use the analytics and then watch the games. That's the wrong way to do it, folks. But that's a very long-winded way of me getting to. Thank you everyone so much for listening. Thank you.